Welcome to week seven of Online Church. Week seven. Wow, time flies. And so I'm curious, during this time that we've been um, isolated, uh, work at home, stay at home order, uh, what have you learned? I mean, have you learned anything useful? Have you learned maybe things that are helpful but maybe pointless? Um, yeah, go ahead and share it with the people around you. I've learned this one random life hack, as, as uh, they say, um, or uh, put in the comments section, oh, here's one thing I learned that's very helpful. And, and it could be something serious too and something real. Um, for some, it might be, man, I learned how to cook. That would be great. <laughs> um, I learned how amazing my wife is. There you go, baby. <laughs> and, um, but, but, but one thing I have learned is that, um, and this is <laughs> silly and don't judge me. I like ramen. How many of you like ramen? If you like ramen, put in the comments section, I like ramen. Well, now, c true confession, I've never been to a legitimate ramen restaurant. Now, don't hate, don't judge. I'm in quarantine, but when quarantine's over, I'll go to a legitimate ramen ramen restaurant. So when I talk about ramen, I'm talking about top ramen. All right. This is the same top ramen that I've had since, since college. So what I, what I used to do with top ramen was I would, I would make it and then I'd also scramble eggs and put eggs on top. But now what I've learned in this quarantine time, <laughs> this is so silly and kind of embarrassing and lame. But anyways, I'm going to tell you what I've learned that I make my ramen but instead of making scrambled eggs, I just put the eggs, crack it, and put it right in with the noodles, and the eggs cook along with the noodles. Then I put the sauce in it, you know, the chicken broth or the beef broth or whatever it is, and then I add a little bit of the uh, hot chili pepper uh, flakes on top. Mmm, so good. And for all the chefs out there and people who really know how to cook right now, that's probably just that pains you to hear. Um, but if anybody out there says that sounds delicious, put it in the comments section, show me some love. But like that top ramen recipe sounds amazing. And uh, it's so simple to make, I don't even have to send it out to everyone. <laughs> so, so hopefully you're doing well. And if you're not, in all seriousness, let us know. The right hand corner there of your, um, of your screen, it just says uh, COVID-19 help. Click there and let us know how we could help. And in the prayer requests, this little prayer request bottom, uh, button at the bottom of your page there, you could click on that. And when you click on that, someone will come up and say, hey, how can I pray for you? Now, there have been times when that button hasn't been working. And so if you click on it and it's not working, just let us know in the general chat and uh, we'll try to troubleshoot while this uh, service is, is going on. But we will pray for you during service uh, and so click on that prayer need and then it alerts one of us pastors and then we'll, we'll be praying for you. So we're going to take a look at Nehemiah and we're going to see what we can learn from Nehemiah and see what his passions were. And, and we're going to see what really drove him for caring for others, what really drove him to look to the needs of others. And so the biblical account of Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah really is uh, it's like his memoirs. It's the account of him. Um, well, first of all, he's living in uh, Susa, the capital city in the Persian Empire. And you got to ask yourself, why is he living in Persia? Like, 
Isn't he a Hebrew? Yes, he is a Hebrew. He's a Jew. Um, but you got to remember, two weeks ago, I talked about Jeremiah. Now, remember, Jeremiah said, listen, God is going to bring down divine judgment. I am warning you that he's telling you if you turn from your sins, he won't bring down judgment. But what happened? They didn't listen and they kept on in their sins. And so then God brought the Babylonians to conquer them. So the Babylonians took out the Israelites, destroyed the temple, destroyed the walls, took all the remaining Israelites and most of the remaining Israelites into Babylonian captivity. Then what happened was the Persians came in, destroyed the Babylonians, and then they took the Hebrews, the Israelites, to Persia. So that's the story of where we are um, in, in our story here. So, so that's how they ended up in Persia. But even though they were occupied by Persia, they, the Israelites and Hebrews were still allowed to go back to their homeland. So Nehemiah was there, um, and this was about 150 years after, uh, or 150 years, yeah, earlier, the Babylonians came in and destroyed everything. And, uh, and we read this in 2 Chronicles chapter 36. He, Nebuchadnezzar, carried to Babylon all the articles from the temple of God, both large and small, and the treasures of the Lord's temple, and all the treasures of the king and his officials. They set fire to God's temple and broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value there. So while they're in captivity, like I mentioned, the Persians came destroyed the Babylonians, brought them in. And here's what we read in scripture about that. Second Chronicles 36, 20 to 21. He carried into exile to Babylon the remnant who escaped from the sword and they became servants to him and his successors until the kingdom of Persia came to power. The land enjoyed its Sabbath rest all the time of its desolation, it rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. And so what we have here is prophecies that, that God gave Jeremiah saying, these are the things that are going to happen. And as, as these words came out, they were fulfilled. When God gives us a promise, he always fulfills those promises. When God gives a prophecy, he always fulfills those prophecy. And, and so Ezra, just a little quick, one other note about this history time frame. Ezra, Ezra, the book of Ezra is about Ezra the priest rebuilding the temple. Nehemiah is about him um, uh, building the, the, the walls around the temple and, uh, and, and all that is, that is in it. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the Persian king. He was a uh, highly respected official. He had the king's ear and he was somebody that others wanted to be him. Others wanted to have his type of job. Here's what uh, one writer says about Nehemiah. This important position in the king's court in itself gives us some very helpful insight into Nehemiah's life and character. A mighty monarch like the king of Persia would only select a man for this position who was very wise, who had demonstrated unlimited discretion, and who was totally honest and trustworthy. Nehemiah loved people. Nehemiah loved God. Nehemiah was one of integrity. 
So to kind of paint this picture, let me kind of show you an illustration here about um, about uh, the temple and the rebuilding of the walls. And this uh, illustration was done by my girls. So check it out. Hi, let me introduce Nehemiah. Nehemiah was in charge of building the wall. And these are the workers. Then here we have a couple. And Ezra. Ezra was in charge of building the chapel. You want to show everyone where Ezra is? Look at her. Him. Look at him. Say bye. Bye! In Nehemiah chapter 1, we read this. One of my brothers came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant, this is Nehemiah, that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back to the province and in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Verse four, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And it was this moment that started Nehemiah on his course to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And then as we see, there's a lot of needs and a lot of hurt that needs to be addressed that Nehemiah takes the courage to meet those needs and come to the rescue of so many of his people. And so we have to understand this, that the reason Nehemiah was so heartbroken was a number of things. Number one, he was so heartbroken over this news because God's temple, God's walls, the, 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 this holy place was being defiled, not only by his own people, the Jews, but also outsiders as well as the book of Nehemiah, as well as Ezra describes. And so he was just distraught about that. He's also distraught as he finds out more that people were being um, taken advantage of. And I think what really drove Nehemiah was his heart for God and his love for God, which translated into his love for others. Nehemiah loved others. He loved people. And what we see here is this account that he loved God and he loved others. And so I think it needs to be said that Jesus loves you. God loves you. I think it's one of those things that we don't hear enough. So let's try this. Before we go on in our story of Nehemiah, um, talk to the people around you. Don't mean talk, just tell them this. Say, God loves you. God created you. Go ahead. Take a moment and tell the people around you. You can even write it in the comment section if you want. God loves you. God created you. And then tell them, Jesus loves you. Jesus died and rose again for you. I think sometimes when we're dealing with fear or anxiety, we have to remember that at the core of who we are, we are a child of God. At the core of who we are, we are absolutely loved. 
You are loved. You are valued. And that cannot be said enough. And maybe we need to remind ourselves about that truth that God loves us. And maybe every day we need to recite to ourselves, I am loved by God. I am loved by God. I am loved by God. I am God's masterpiece. I am God's masterpiece. And maybe we need to remind ourselves of that because we forget, especially in the pandemic that we live in and the uncertainty that we forget, God, are you that? Yes, God is there and he loves you and he cherishes you and you are his masterpiece. And so maybe you could write yourself a note to remind yourself, to to tell yourself constantly that you are loved by God, that you are valued and that you are cherished by God. Well, this weekend we'll see the example of Nehemiah and we'll see his example of how he cared for others. In Nehemiah chapter five, verses one to five, we read, now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. Verse 4, still others were saying we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. Let that sink in. There's a lot in those five verses. What we see in those five verses are three complaints, valid complaints. Number one we see is the complaint is that families were going hungry. They needed grain. These families, these, these, these men who decided to go and build the temple wall to protect the, 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 the temple, the, the, to protect the contents inside the walls, those who were building the walls couldn't tend to their, uh, to their farm. They couldn't tend to their farm, so they couldn't create food and help the harvest. They couldn't, they couldn't get food for themselves and they couldn't go and sell food because they were constantly at the walls building the, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And so they were going hungry. And to add injury, insult to injury, the issue is, is, is that, that there was a famine during the land. So not only are they building the walls there, they're not, take care of their own crops because they have to build the walls. And then there's a famine in the land. So the situation was really dire. The second complaint was people had to mortgage their homes, their property to to endure this inflation. And the inflation had to do with the Persian king Artaxerxes because he put a, a tax on the Jewish people. But chances are what was happening is that he put the standard tax, but then these Jewish tax collectors would come to their own Jewish people and they would add more to the tax. So instead of paying the standard flat tax rate, they would have to pay even more and even more. So 
Persia was about 800 miles away, and so, you know, the king didn't have much direct contact with what was going on in, in Jerusalem. So, so the idea is, how can the Jews, and this is what they're arguing, how can we as the Jews pay the taxes if we can't maintain our fields, if we can't produce a crop so we can feed ourselves and then sell it for making money to pay for the taxes? And if, and if they could not pay for their taxes, then what would happen is they would lose their land entirely. And so what we see is we see families picketing, we see families protesting, we see families stepping up and saying, this is not right, there is an injustice going on. And the third complaint was that people were not able to pay back their debt. J.I. Packer writes, Loss of the land in this manner just described, plus the need to pay interest on loans from other sources, had compelled some families to sell their families into slavery as the, as the only way they could now keep going. The complaint was really, why should the Jewish noble children have everything they want while us, being the common Israelites, the common Hebrews, have to have to work for the wall, have to starve to death, have to sell our families into slavery. Why are the the rich elite Jewish rulers and their children having a feast every single meal when we are starving and we are near starvation and near death? Why is this happening? Was their complaint. And they're saying we have to sell our children into slavery and just in order to survive. And yet people are thriving. Our own people are thriving. And so Nehemiah, Nehemiah was disturbed. Nehemiah, when he heard this, he was greatly disturbed. He was angry, you know, because he, he knew that the Hebrews, the Jews were supposed to be a blessing to others, especially themselves. But the Jews, the Elite Jews were taking advantage of their fellow Jews. And Nehemiah was mad because he knew the Hebrew scriptures. He knew the Mosaic law. He knew what God commanded people throughout history. So, for example, we're reading Exodus 22, 25. If you lend money to one of my people among you who is needy, if you lend money to one of my people among you who is needy, do not treat it like a business deal. Charge no interest. And there's many passages like that throughout the Hebrew Bible, throughout the Old Testament. But what God is saying is this, in, a, in this passage here in Exodus 22, as well as other passages, he's saying, you are my people that I have chosen. I have I have chosen you so you would be a blessing to other people, that as I have blessed you, you would bless others. But as we have seen throughout the Hebrew history, that was not the case. The Hebrews did not do a good job at all of caring and loving for their neighbor. And in fact, we see here in Nehemiah that they're not even doing a good job of caring and loving their own people. And this is a disgrace. And this is a slap in the face to God. And obviously, if it's a slap in the face to God, it's a slap in the face to Nehemiah and us as well. So God wants 
the chosen people, the Hebrews, his people, to, to treat others with, with love. He wants the surrounding nations to know that it is the Israelites that God has blessed. And the reason they're so su- successful is not because of uh, how good or how talented they are. It's not any of that. The reason they're so successful and that, and that what they do seems to just flourish is because God is on the throne. That's what God wanted to do in and through the Hebrews, but that didn't happen. And so then we get a number of complaints. And these are valid complaints, like I mentioned. So Nehemiah takes action. Nehemiah's first step was to go to a quiet place and ponder. Before he just went quick into action, he wanted to go and find time with the Lord and be with him. And in Nehemiah chapter 5, 6 and 7a, we read, When I heard their outcry of these charges, I was angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and the officials. So he prayed, he pondered, and then he went straight to the nobles and to all the officials. He went to them because it was the nobles and the high Jewish authority who were the ones oppressing your average Jewish person. So he went straight to the source and he accused them with three accusations. First, Nehemiah said, you're charging interest to your fellow Jew, and that is wrong. Nehemiah 5, 7, I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them you're charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them. And then the second complaint Nehemiah told all of them was that you're forcing your people into slavery. And that too is wrong. Nehemiah 5, 8. And and then he said, as far as possible, we have brought back our fellow Jews, fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. Then third, the third complaint, Nehemiah said that you're losing your distinction in the eyes of the surrounding nations. And that's tragic. Nehemiah 5.9, so I continued, what are you doing? What you're doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of, of our Gentile enemies? And so after Nehemiah accused them, the story goes on to say in, in this section here is that they couldn't say anything. They were quiet. And instead, what we find out is that these elite Jews repented. And this repentance was costly. Not in the sense that they had to give money to be forgiven. In the sense that they knew what they did was wrong. Nehemiah called them on the carpet and they repented. They gave back to their own people everything that they had extorted from them. They turned from their sins and they did what was right. Nehemiah then summoned the priests to make a covenant. And here's what we read in Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 12 to 13. They replied, we will give back everything and demand nothing more from the people. We will do as you say. 
Then I called the priests and made the nobles and officials swear to do what they had promised. I shook out the folds of my robe and said, if you fail to keep your promise, may God shake you like this from your homes and from your property. The whole assembly responded, amen. You need to say amen. Amen. I love that. Just write amen. Everyone's writing amen, 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 amen. <laughs> and they praised the Lord and the people did as they had promise. Well, Nehemiah set a phenomenal example because after this in verses 14 to 19, he was made governor. He was a top person in the land there and he could have done anything. He could have lorded over them. He could have uh, brought down slavery. He could have had them pay his way and all this stuff. But you know what? He didn't do any of that. He, he governed with humility. And he actually had money that was due to him as a governor of, 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 of the land. And that would feed him and his soldiers and all of that. But you know what Nehemiah said? No. I, we're not doing that. I'm not taking advantage of anything. I will pay for the food for me and my people and my, my servants and my officials. I will take care of their meals. He paid that out of his own pocket. Proverbs 29 2 says, when the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when a, but when a wicked man rules, people groan. Nehemiah cared for God and he cared for others. He loved God and he loved others. It's the greatest commandment that we read in Mark chapter 12, verse 30 and 31. When Jesus was questioned about this, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. It's not always easy doing what's right. It's not always easy doing the right thing or doing what's honorable or lovely, but that's what we're called to. So as we wrap up here, let's talk about what we could take from Nehemiah. And what does this example mean for you and, and me? And here's what it means. It means that we live out what we say we believe. We live out what we say we believe. And take a moment and ask yourself, are you living out your life? If you're a follower of Jesus, are you living out your life in a way that's honoring to God? Just think about that. Are you living out your life in a way that's honoring to God? And so how can we obey God through caring? Well, we could see a need. If we see a need, let's meet a need. I mentioned about these face masks. We have over 40 wonderful uh, um, uh, people who have stepped up and said, hey, I can sew face masks. And to this date, we've, we have given out, we've sewn and given out nearly 2,000 face masks. And that's phenomenal. And we even got coverage on it in Hawaii News Now. You go on our YouTube channel and you can check it out. And this past Wednesday, we have uh, uh, so many people who drop by the church and giving non-perishable food items as well as other household items, just donating them to the church so that when we hear needs and people are in need, we can give them to those in need. There's a need, people saw a need, and they're meeting a need. Not only that, there's been a number of families who have donated money or donated supplies and given them to the church. 
And, and uh, this past Saturday, Pastors Nofal Marie were driving around town and, and uh, they had a list of people that they talked to who were in need and they donated uh, so much food and supplies to these different families who, were in, who are in need. If you see a need, meet the need. To everyone who has been helping others, to everyone who has been serving, to everyone who uh, just want to say thank you. And if you are in need, it's okay. We are in this together. At one point, everyone's going to be in need in one way or another. Let us help you. Click on the COVID-19 tab on the right-hand side, upper right-hand side of your screen there, and just tell us your needs. And, and you know, we can't meet every single need like we would like to, but we're going to do the best we can to serve our ohana and to serve our community. God loves you. Well, we can obey God through seeing a need, meeting a need, and we can obey God by standing up for those who cannot stand up for themselves. And we also can obey God by listening to those who are hurting. Who in your life, in your family is hurting that you could just take time and slow down and say, hey, how are you doing, really? And just let them talk and ask questions that that probe a conversation where they talk more and let them tell you how they're really feeling. Can you do that? Let's slow down and let's listen to people's needs. And I think part of caring when we care for others, that is so vital, so important, but also we cannot forget that during this time we need to care for ourselves. And as we care for ourselves, we have to ask ourselves, how are we doing? And maybe we need to call a friend and say, hey, I'm not doing that well. And we need to be honest about that. And I've seen that done. And when I see it done, I'm happy because people are reaching out. So maybe during this time, reach out for a counselor. Reach out and talk to somebody. You could do it through Zoom and, and different methods that way. But don't, don't do this time and say, I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to, I'm going to fix everything. I, no, listen, it's okay to take care of yourself. It's okay to take care of yourself and to, to say, this is what, this is what you know, I need to do for this season of my life. And I think through everything, I think through what God is calling us to do and the example of Nehemiah, let's remember that when there is a need, let's meet that need. And let's also take care of ourselves. You are so loved, you are so valued, you are so cherished, you are so honored. You are his masterpiece. And he wants to bring you healing. So allow God to heal you. And in whatever way that the Holy Spirit wants to heal you, allow God to heal you during this time. You are loved, you are valued, you are cherished.